passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Good to have you. If you're a visitor, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's good to have you today. For the last two weeks, as you know, we took a break from our study in 1 Samuel. Uh, we were looking at for Easter, and then we looked at Palm Sunday. But it's good to be back in 1 Samuel today. While we're talking about Easter, though, wasn't that a good Easter service? I mean, if you weren't here, it was a really good service. The worship team did a great job. Ushers, greeters tech team did a great job. I know Tyler and his tech team worked really hard that week. Uh, they, they had the lift up here. They took the old projectors down. They took the old screens down. Uh, we're sampling this rear projector right now. They just installed that. It's on demo for us just to see how it works before we choose if we're going to purchase it and install it and that kind of stuff. So we're thankful so much for the hard work of Tyler's tech team and the work they've done. And by the way, the Spencer campus, they did an awesome job for Easter as well. You guys know that we've bought the north side of the North Mall, and that will become our new permanent Spencer campus location. But part of the cool parts of that is that we have the common area of the mall available to us. So the Spencer campus, what they decided to do is, why don't we have an Easter carnival for all the little kids we have in their church? Because they have a really big group of younger kids. So they opened that whole common area of the mall up. And go ahead and show them the picture, if you can. So this is them having an Easter carnival and playing games and kids from the community were there. What a great way to reach people with Jesus Christ. Isn't that great on Easter? And while we're speaking of the Spencer campus, just so you know, uh, the construction continues in the north side of the North Mall. We've finished all the demolition work. We've been putting up the, the walls. Uh, here's a little picture of the walls in the office area. They are up right now. Uh, they're further along than that picture since it was taken. We've moved out of the office area. We're putting up uh, the walls now in the main area by the sanctuary. You can see some of the walls that were up there this week. And by the way, if you have time, uh, I'd love you to go down on a Tuesday night or a Saturday morning, even if you can only come down for an hour. It's just great to work together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and meet people from the other campus. And they're always so encouraged when people from the Spirit Lake campus are there to work with them. So it's a, a great thing to do. By the way, why it's exciting for all the physical changes that are taking place, things like screens, and it's exciting to see construction in Spencer. What's even more exciting to me as a pastor is when I see the spiritual progress that is going on in so many people's lives. It's just speaking on the Spirit Lake campus. There is so many good things going on here. Wednesday morning, there's a men's Bible study, and that group has been growing consistently. They're getting together. They're working right now through the book of James. The men putting their finger in the text, studying the book of James together and growing. It's great stuff. Uh, Wednesday nights, Awana is going just well. We're, we're just going to be finishing it up. But man, it was a good Awana season this year, wasn't it? Oh yeah, all these kids being introduced to Jesus 
And then Pastor Chris doing a wonderful job down in the youth group area, down on the other end in the commons. That's gone really well. And then our deacons, I don't know if you know that, we have a group of deacons at the church and what they do is they care for people in need and they help out with benevolence. And man, our deacons have been doing a wonderful job. There's been so many needs and they've risen to the task and just caring for people. You know, as a pastor, quite honestly, I am so proud of what God is doing through Crosswinds and through you. I cannot say that enough. It is just wonderful to be in this position and see God working through you and to see you with your finger in the text loving one another. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get into our study. Father, thank you so much for Crosswinds. You have been so faithful to us. You have been so good to us, helping us reach more people in our community with Jesus And then you've been so good at helping us to be able to serve one another. You've gifted us with spiritual gifts to be able to help one another. And you've given us the word of God and as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens one another as we get in the word of God together. We know we were never created to be alone in our walk with you, but we need each other. We need our church family to be healthy and strong in our walk with you, Jesus. I just want to thank you for all the good things you are doing through Crosswinds here in Spirit Lake and in Spencer and even beyond in the rest of the world through our missionaries. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. When we left off in our studies of 1 Samuel, you'll remember that the people had made a really bad choice. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they decided to ask Samuel for a a king. Why do they need a king? Well, because all the other nations around them have a king, so they, they too say, we want a king. But this is actually a, a really bad deal because by asking for a human king, they're rejecting God as king. They're rejecting their savior. Well, God gave them the king that they wanted, as we've seen. His name was Saul, and he was the kind of king they were actually looking for. I mean, he fit all of the optics, didn't he? Tall, good-looking, really sort of an amazing-looking guy, but while he looks good on the outside, as we've seen, he has some major character flaws on the inside. Like even after he had been privately anointed king by Samuel, when he was going to be publicly anointed king, and he knew it, and they were drawing lots, and he knew the lot was going to end on him. Remember where he was? Hiding in the baggage. Boy, is that a statement of leadership. Earlier, before that, when Samuel had privately anointed him king, and he had been um, been that, that anointing was confirmed with some miraculous signs and that anointing was confirmed by the Holy Spirit rushing on him in a powerful way. And Samuel told him, your job is to go take care of that garrison of Philistines. What did he do? Absolutely nothing. By the time we get to the end of 1 Samuel chapter 10, Everybody in the nation knew that Saul was an anointed king, but nobody really respected him as king. 
after being publicly anointed king, and he couldn't get out of it that time, he decided just to go home to Gibeah, go back to the family farm, go back to plowing with the oxen. Even the army that went home with him, that was surrounding him, slowly evaporated away from him because he didn't do anything. We came to the end of 1 Samuel chapter 10, and we're wondering, Will Samuel or will Saul ever do anything? Will he ever step to the plate and lead? I mean, how many times does God have to help this guy? Well, that all changed when we came to 1 Samuel chapter 11. Remember um, the king named Nahash, king of the Ammonites? If you were here, we looked at this map, throw that up. There's Ammon right there, just to the east of the Jordan River. That's where the Ammonites were. And Nahash, he had risen up, and he began conquering cities in the area. And he was going to be conquering the last city east of the Jordan that he hadn't conquered. It was a Jewish city named Jabesh-Gilead. And Nahash had a nasty way of branding people once he conquered people. Do you guys remember what he liked to do? gouge out their right eye. Obvious, if you've been conquered by Nahash, everybody knew it. Well, Nahash had surrounded Jabesh Gilead, the last city east of the Jordan. And the people sent for help to the rest of the Israelites, to the west of the Jordan. Will anybody, anybody possibly come and rescue us? And when the messengers came to Gibeah, where, where Saul was, there was a lot of crying, a lot of pain, because as we learned when we studied 1 Samuel chapter 11, that actually there was family relationship, close family relationship between the people of Gibeah and the people of Jabesh Gilead, because many of the wives of the men of Gibeah had come from Jabesh Gilead. So they're really upset about all their, ancestors, or all their relatives about ready to lose their right eye unless there's rescue. Saul hears about this, and finally he steps to the plate. Saul, he galvanizes the rest of the country around him. They attack Nahash, who's been wreaking destruction all over the east side of the Jordan River, and they completely wipe out Nahash at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 11. It's an impressive victory. And Samuel says, now what we need to do is we need to go to Gilgal, and we need to renew the kingdom. The idea is there, let's go renew our kingdom and let's renew our commitment behind Saul. Now when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 12, where we find ourselves this morning, what we have in this chapter is a section of a speech given by, Sam, given by Samuel to the people at Gilgal when they're renewing the kingdom. This is an interesting speech because in it you'll see lessons about God's amazing grace. Grace to his wicked people. Grace in ways you would never expect. The kind of grace that we need in our life. So I'd like to ask you to take out your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12, stand out of reverence for the word, follow along in your copies, with your eyes as I read the 12th chapter. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you have said to me.
and I've made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you. And I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am, testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it to you. They said, You've not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you, for your fathers. Then Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them. Then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord, their God, and he sold them into the hands of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerob Baal and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, Oh no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now, behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all of our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. 
you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they're empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And that ends the reading of God's word. You can be seated. Let's go ahead and work our way through this text. It begins sort of by Samuel describing the situation. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you said to me and have made a king over you. Samuel considered the people's request for a king and he gave them a king and God gave them a king. But to be quite honest, their request for a king, it was an insult to Samuel's leadership. It was actually also an insult to God's leadership over them. Remember when they asked for a king, God wanted Samuel to tell them what would be the problems of having a human king? Remember when uh, they had a human king, that human king would be known for taking from them, not giving to them. In fact, the text that we looked at earlier in 1 Samuel is that a human king will always take more from the people than he will ever give to the people. God is the one who gives to the people. Human beings take from the people. It says they will tax people. They will enslave people. They will build up their kingdom, and not necessarily you. Now, God warned them through Samuel the dangers of rejecting him and having a human king, but they wanted that human king anyway. So God gave them that king and Saul. Now, look what Samuel says here. And now, behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. At this point, Samuel is giving them a, a contrast. You know, Okay, here's the king, tall, good-looking, strong, young, and boy, he just won a wonderful victory over Nahash. He looks great, doesn't he? And then there's me. I'm old, I'm gray, and I'm crusty. Which one of us looks more attractive? I think it's pretty obvious. The people are saying, this is great. It's time to be out with the old and in with the new. Saul looks great. And Samuel says, before you toss me out my ear, let's think about this for a little bit. 
He says, let me talk, first of all, about the righteousness of the old order. He says, let me take a look at what you had going on in your life before you asked for a king. In other words, was there anything wrong with God's leadership over you? And was there anything wrong with my leadership over you that you rejected both of us and sought a human king? And Samuel says this, you know, I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Samuel has been judge over the nation for a long, long time. You've been with us in this study of 1 Samuel. You know that it was when he was weaned that his mother first brought him to Eli at the the tent in Shiloh. And he began serving as a little tiny boy priest. And he has faithfully served the people for his entire life. And now he is old and gray. And he says, let me just ask you a question. Let me ask you about my leadership. You've known me for my entire life. He says, here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Let me know if there's anything I've done wrong. You know, Samuel knows that when someone has been in office for a long time, you know their character starts to change a little bit. When someone gets into office initially, they're usually there to serve the people. And, and they're there for the people. But when someone's been in offices, office for a long time, they start to serve themselves. They start to line their own pockets. They start to take bribes. They become sort of like an insider job. They're known as the establishment. Samuel should be what we consider the establishment. He's been there for a long time. He says, but you think there's any corruption in me? I want to know. Here I am, free shot. Anyone in the nation testify against me anything I have done wrong. In fact, he gets rather specific here. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I will restore it. Have I ever used coercion? Have I ever used manipulation? Have I ever used my position to be a bully against other people? Have I ever been dishonest or untrue because I'm in a position of power and I've been there for a long time? Let me know. Because I've done something wrong. I certainly want to repent. I certainly want to fix it right now. And I love the response of the people. They said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taking anything from any man's hand. Do you understand the significance of that? This is amazing. After a lifetime of leading an entire nation, no one in the nation has anything bad to say about Samuel and his leadership. They cannot point to any sin in his life. Anyway, he oppressed people. You know, I thought about this. Isn't Samuel the kind of politician we need today? You know, he'd be the kind of politician that would actually put the media out of business because they couldn't find anything to talk about. 
Because isn't that the media wants? They always want to find something that somebody in office is doing wrong, illegally, or taking a bribe. And they seem to find, no matter what party they come from, they seem to find plenty of things to talk about. But not so with Samuel, if he was in office. He had rock-solid integrity for his entire life from beginning to end. When I read this passage a number of years ago, and I was reading, and I, I wrote in the footnote of my Bible on the, on the side there, I said, this is the way I want to finish my life. When it's my retirement, and I have to give a speech, I'd love to be able to say the same thing that Samuel did. I want to finish well with character and integrity. Because that's in short supply today, isn't it? But you know, quite honestly, that's not, shouldn't be just my prayer. Shouldn't that be our prayer for all of us? That we would finish well, we would finish with integrity. In fact, maybe as we're talking about this very subject, the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart and in your mind and is bringing to your mind right now an issue in your life that you have sort of kept pressed below the waterline and you try not to think about and try not to remember an issue of maybe character or integrity that you need to take the time to make right. There's a phone call you have to make, a person you have to apologize to, say, hey, I just handled this wrong. And God just keeps bringing it to mind, I need to apologize. I need to make something right. Because someday, all of us will come to the point where it's our retirement. It's our last time in office. And we all want to be able to say, hey, if there's anything I've done wrong, let me know. I'd like to fix it. And we'd love for everyone to say back, you know, you've made everything right. That's the way to finish. In fact, this is a great application point. Make every effort to finish, to finish well. Character makes a difference. And I was thinking about this. Samuel's character, that of being a servant to the people when you're a leader of the people, that seems to be the consistent theme throughout all of Scripture about what a good and godly man or woman or leader looks like. Let me show this to you. Luke 22-26. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Isn't that Samuel? A faithful servant to the people. Second Timothy 2.24, Paul writes to Timothy, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. That if you're a leader of the people, Timothy, you're a servant of the people. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, speaking of leaders, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's Samuel. You could follow his life because he was an example with his life. Well, let's go a little further into the text. Let's go to verse 5. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. I've served you faithfully. There was nothing wrong with my leadership when you chose to 
asked for a king. But now Samuel moves on. He says, you didn't just reject me in leadership over you, but you rejected God in leadership over you. And by the way, if you think Samuel has been faithful and a good leader, God himself has been a much faithful, more faithful, and even better leader of the people than Samuel ever could be. Verse six, Samuel said to the people, the Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now what Samuel's going to do, he's going to give a little history lesson. He said, let's go back in history and look at how incredibly faithful God has been to you and to your ancestors. Remember, let's start with Egypt. Oh, do you remember what it was like for your ancestors when they were forced to take their male children and let them drown in the Nile? They were forced to make bricks without straw. There was absolutely nothing they could do to save themselves. And they called out in desperation to me. And then God came to their rescue. And God put plague after plague on the Egyptians. And God brought them out of Egypt. And again, God let them cross the Red Sea, parting the waters before them. Wait a minute, I think God's a pretty good king. I think God's a pretty adequate king. Oh, that's the guy that you rejected and got rid of. Look as he continues. Now therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. That's the history lesson line right there. And when Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. It was not just the plagues on Egypt and not just the Red Sea, but remember when they were in the wilderness and they had no food and God as their king made manna every morning, except of course for one when they were thirsty and God as their king could bring water out of a very rock. When they went into the promised land and they went, they came to this walled city they had no idea what to do with called Jericho and God as their king knocked all the walls down. Wait a minute. I think God is a pretty good king. I think God is a pretty adequate king who has consistently rescued them who has consistently fought for them, who has consistently protected them. This is the guy that they rejected because they wanted a human being as king so they could be just like the other nations out there. What a dumb choice. Now, having God as your king didn't always mean that life was easy because sometimes people, when they had God as their king, they would start to walk away from God. They would rebel against God. And then what would happen? God would allow you know, one of the nations around them to oppress them and, and to make life difficult for them. And then when they were repressed and they were attacked, they repented. When they repented, they called out to God. And when they called out to God, what did God do? He rescued them again. So you see, even when it felt like God had abandoned them, and God had left them, and they were oppressed by a nation around them, there was a good reason for it. It's because they'd wandered from God, and God was trying to get them to repent and come back to him. And as soon as they came back, God rescued them every single time. 
And so he gives a little bit of a history here from the book of Judges. But they forgot the Lord their God, and he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against him. But now, things went a little bit different here. What they did is they had Nahash come into their world. And instead of repenting, instead of calling out to God, they said, we need an earthly king. We need a worldly solution because God's not going to be there for us. And they forgot their history that he'd been there for them every single time in the past. And I thought about this a little bit. We're not too different from the Israelites, are we? Can you look back in your life, look back in the history of your life? Has God ever come to your rescue? When you thought there was no hope, when you thought there was no prayer, you prayed and you cried out to God and God came to your rescue. Maybe he's done that more than once, again and again. But what happens today when all of a sudden the bottom falls out? When all of a sudden you lose your job? When all of a sudden you can't figure out what to do? The first thing we often do is go after a merely worldly solution. Isn't that true? just like the people of Israel. Give us a king. As opposed to stop praying to the Lord, repenting. How are you, why are you trying to get my attention right now and asking him to help us? Now that doesn't mean that we don't take earthly and worldly choices that we have to do as we repent. Of course, we do both. But the solution ultimately comes from God every time, doesn't it? It's not something we create out of our strength and our hands. So here's the application. When we face a crisis, turn to God who delivers instead of only worldly solutions. Verses 10 and 11 talks about the rescue of God. And they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and we've served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in, sa in safety. Every single time when God's people wandered away from him, when they repented, God rescued them. And by the way, this has gone on for hundreds of years. God has been faithful to them. But when they see Nahash, the guy who likes to gouge out eyes, they completely re forget about repenting and seeking the Lord. They jump right into asking for a human king. The point is, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the old order. Samuel was a faithful leader. He was a rock-solid leader for his entire life. God was a faithful God who had protected them faithfully for hundreds, hundreds of years. Did they need a human king to handle Nahash? Absolutely not. Now he moves on and talks about the foolishness of this new order. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, 
No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king you've chosen for whom you've asked. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you. And there's a little bit of extra information here that we didn't have prior to this part. We were introduced to Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, in 1 Samuel chapter 11 in our last study. But here we find out he's actually been around for a while. He was around since 1 Samuel chapter 8. It was when the elders saw him wreaking optical destruction on the east of the Jordan and other cities. They panicked and didn't seek God, but asked for a king. Now, in the panic, they decided to look for a king instead of God. And Samuel says, now, I want you to think about this. Think about what you have done. Think about how faithful God has been to your forefathers in the past. Think about all the miraculous ways that God has protected your forefathers in the past, crushing the nations around you. And this just isn't the distant past. This has been the recent past. If you have been with us through our studies in 1 Samuel, you'll remember the chapter we studied where the people had fallen away from God and the Philistines were oppressing them. And remember, Samuel called them to the place called Mizpah. And there they had national repentance, where they repented as a nation. And at that time, while they were repenting, the Philistines attacked them. But because they were repenting, God fought against them. It says, and the Lord thundered against the Philistines at that time. And there was a mighty defeat of the Philistines as God literally fought for them and with them. And that was about, what, 20 years before this? And yet how quickly they had forgotten how good God had been to them and how he had protected them. And Samuel says, yeah, Saul looks good, tall, handsome. He just won against Nahash, this great victory. But only a fool would want him as the king when you could have God as your king. It would be insanity to reject God of the universe as your king, to have a human king and trust a human king with your future. He says, do you see how foolish this is, what you have done? Do you understand your wickedness? Yet he gives them an ultimatum, and it's grace that's in the ultimatum. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. The only way he says that's forward is if you and your king will repent and follow the Lord. Submit and follow him. Now, if you choose not to follow him, it will not go well with you. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, maybe you missed what was happening here. There is some great application here. They have sinned against God in a big way, but God is willing to forgive them if they will just turn back to him, he will forgive them if their king will follow him. Application. 
God is incredibly gracious. Even when we sin in a big way, if we repent and humble ourselves, God forgives. Do not miss this. Rejecting God as the king and asking for a human king is a big sin. It is a huge mistake on the people's part. But God is willing to forgive them. God is willing to continue to move on with them if they will just turn and seek him. Now, folks, this is great application for us because the same holds true. Sometimes it's not just the Israelites as a nation who screw up in a really big way. Sometimes it's us, isn't it? Have you ever messed up royally, totally sinned, and you look at yourself and you're filled with disgust, you're filled with shame, you say, God, can you ever forgive me? Can you ever continue to move on with me? Will you still walk with me? Will you ever do that? What we find here is the answer is yes. Yes. No matter how big our sin is, God is willing to forgive if we will just repent and follow after him. Now, I don't know what sin you have done in your life that is huge in your mind today. But how does it compare to an entire nation rejecting the God of the universe as their king after that God has been faithful to them every time? But God still forgives if they will but turn and follow him. Another point of application. If we make an unwise and sinful decision that we cannot change, when we humble ourselves, repent, and turn to the Lord in obedience, God will show his favor and use us for his good purposes. They can't go back. Sometimes we make a sinful decision, we repent, and we go back. But there are times when you make a sinful decision, you cannot go back. Rejecting God as a king and asking for a human king, they cannot go back on this one. But yet God is still willing to forgive them and still willing to work with them. This is encouraging for us. Sometimes we make decisions that are either unwise or sinful and we cannot change. Maybe for us, it was, uh, we took a job and now we realize that we took that job for the wrong reasons but we can't go back and change. Maybe we went to a college and we went to a college for the wrong reasons and we're in the wrong place and we know it clearly and we can't change, at least not right now. Or maybe for you, it was, you ended up marrying somebody and you realize now you married somebody who's not even at all walking with Jesus and you realize that was a really bad decision but now you cannot change it. Here is the good, amazing news. Even when we've made poor decisions that we cannot change, like the Israelites in rejecting God as their king, if we will but repent and turn to the Lord and follow him and obey him, from that point forward, the Lord will continue to walk with us. He will continue to work with us. He will continue to use us even when we've made decisions that are poor and bad that we cannot change and go back on. 
That's what he did right here for his people, and that is what he will do for us. Isn't he amazing? Next point of application. There is no problem where repenting of sin, calling out to Jesus and obeying God is the wrong answer. No matter how difficult the situation we find ourselves in, there is always hope when we repent, call out to Jesus for forgiveness, and make choices of obedience. It is the one-size-fits-all solution today. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what you have done, no matter what failure has been in your life, no matter what sin is there, repent, call out to the Lord for mercy, and seek to obey and follow him. That is always the right answer. No matter where you find yourself, even if you can't change your choices. Now let's jump into verses 16 and 17. Now therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourself a king. Now, Samuel says, just in case you don't get this, we're going to have a little visual aid. Uh, You're going to see what God sort of feels about this whole thing of rejecting him. It's wheat harvest right now. By the way, it doesn't rain in wheat harvest. It's dry season. I'm going to pray and ask God to sort of uh, send a little rain and thunder, which, by the way, is I talked to a farmer between services. He told me that's the absolute worst thing in wheat harvest season because it ruins the crop. And so he says, I'm going to pray, and we'll see what happens here in this time where it never rains. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And I thought to myself, so, man, they were celebrating at the beginning of this. Now they fear the Lord and Samuel. Just a little thunder and rain changed it. I did a little research. The Hebrew way, thunder and rain, the the words are put together. The construction is found in only one other spot in the Bible. It's found in Exodus chapter 8. It talks about the thunder and rain that God sent on Egypt when he was pouring out the plagues on the land. So do you think this is a little drizzle? Absolutely not. This is a torrential rain. This is a scare-yourself-to-death-with-the-weather kind of rain in dry season. But the message actually works. The people very quickly get the message that they have messed up. God is not happy. They're messed up big time, which gets us to repentance. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. We've added to all of our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Oh, we messed up. I mean, at least our forefathers, when they went away from God, they repented and came back to God. We took it up a notch. We went away from God, rejected him, and asked for a king in place of him. We're dead meat. You can understand this. What should we do? And I love what what Samuel says. It's called renewal. Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. 
For you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. Now that you finally see the ugliness of your sin, you can finally see the darkness of your sin, and you are repenting and broken by your sin. Do not live in your sin. Don't sit here and be afraid of God. Do not keep hitting the replay button, reliving it again and again. Do not let your mind marinate marinate in the memories of how you've messed up and how you've gone wrong. What he says is, now that you realize your sin, move on from your sin, repent of your sin. Don't live in your sin. Go forward with repentance and faith and trust in obedience to God. And by the way, that's not just a message for ancient Israel. Isn't that a message for us? How many of us, when we finally see the ugliness of our sin, keep replaying it in our mind over and over? We're filled with self-loathing, self-hatred, disgust. God says, now that you see the ugliness of your sin, don't stay there. Repent. Follow me. Move on and learn. Don't stay. And he says, do not turn aside after the empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. In other words, don't waste your time in things that aren't going to help you. Move on from there. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. You may have walked away from God. You may have turned your back on God, but he has not turned his back on you. When we haven't been faithful, God has been faithful. That's not just for ancient Israel. That's for us as well. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Well, God is not just continue to be faithful to you, but Samuel says, even though you've rejected me as your leader, I will continue to be faithful to you. I will continue to pray for you. I will continue to teach you. And he says this, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart and consider what great things he has done for you. If you want to circle a word in your outline, circle the word consider. You want to walk faithfully with him? Continue to remember how good God has been to you. Continue to reflect on his faithfulness to you and you will be faithful to him. Now, as I thought about what are the overall applications of this, and I reflected on this chapter, I think the applications sort of come out like an umbrella over the whole thing. They're all tied to this one word. The word is grace. You see incredible amounts of God's grace in this chapter. The first area of grace is this. God's grace offers complete forgiveness of our sins. When we sin, God offers forgiveness and a fresh start. When we repent and ask God to forgive us through Jesus and make choices in obedience to God's word, God does not want us wallowing in our guilt or going down the path of self-hatred. He doesn't want us suffocating in guilt and shame, 
through Jesus, God graciously offers to forgive us and cleanse us completely. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In spite of the incredible wickedness of rejecting God as their king, God was willing to forgive them completely and move on if they would just follow him. We need to hear that too. No matter what we have done, no matter how we have failed, God's grace is more than enough and his hands are held out to you in complete forgiveness and complete restoration right here, right now. The second area of grace we see is this. God's grace shows us the truth about our sins. Israel was ignorant of the depth of their sin when they asked for a king. God graciously showed them the ugliness of what they had done so they could repent. God's grace in our life is when we finally see the ugliness of our sin so we're convicted of it and can repent of our sin. Did you realize that? God's grace shows us our sin. I know when I'm, I first got married, you know, most, well, I'm thinking about this because we were at a wedding last night. But when you first got married, you, know, you think you're pretty good, you think you've got your act together, and then you get a bride. And your wife starts to show you things about you in your life that you never saw before. Starts to show you some of your selfishness that you weren't aware of. Starts to show you some of your anger you weren't aware of. Some of your insecurities you weren't aware of. Boy, am I thankful for God's grace in my life to give me a good wife. To show me my sin. So I could begin to repent of my sin and become more like Jesus. Isn't that what happened? These guys went to Gilgal ready to celebrate thought they were doing everything right until God showed them their sin so they could finally repent of their sin. The sin of rejecting God and asking for a human king. But the most amazing grace of all is this final one. God's grace reconfigures our sinful choices and uses them for good. God took the evil of his people's rebellion by asking for a human king and turned it into the very way he saved us by giving us Jesus, the king we desperately need. No matter what we have done or where we find ourselves, when we confess our sin, repent, and make choices to obey God, our life is reconfigured by God and used for God's good purposes. The asking for a human king was reconfigured by God and became the way he sent us Jesus, the king, to save us. No matter what you have done right now, no matter where you have sinned, no matter how royally you have messed up, if you repent, confess to God, call out to Jesus, and obey God, from that moment forward, God will reconfigure the choices of your life and turn them into being used for God's glory and you're good. So no matter where we are or what we have done, when we go to the one-size-fits-all solution of repentance and restoration through Jesus, there is always hope. Isn't that great? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for showing us a glimpse of your amazing grace in this chapter. Grace to forgive dark and wicked sin. Grace that shows your people the ugliness of their sin so they could repent of it. And grace that reconfigures unchangeable, permanent, dark choices to be used by you for your honor, your glory, and your good. Thank you for still doing that today in our lives. So no matter where we find ourselves, today when we turn to you, there is always hope in a future. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.